0: Hello, everybody. Sam here. Before we begin, I just want to let you know that you're about to listen to the finale of our miniseries on The Love Family, but Season 2 of Family Ghosts has only just begun. We'll have a new story for you next week and every week for the next seven weeks. Make sure you stay tuned after the credits of this episode to hear a sneak preview of next week's show, and thank you for listening.
1: Spoke Media. Spoke Media.
0: Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. I first found out about the Love Israel family in May of last year from a woman named Posey Gruner. Hey, hi. Hi, is this Posey? This is Posey. Is it Sam? It is. How are you?
2: Good. Um, I'm walking my dog. I hope you don't mind.
0: I do not mind at all. I do not mind at all. Okay. Thank you for uh, talking to me this early. Posey told me that her parents had both been members of this commune, the Love Israel family, in the 70s and early 80s. She was the first one to tell me that part of the deal when you joined was that you gave up your old name and were given a new one, which the group called Virtue Names.
2: Mine was Composure, my mom's was Constance, my sister's was Plenty, and my dad's was Richness.
0: If you've listened to the first two episodes of this season— And this episode will definitely make a lot more sense if you have. You've already met Richness. He was one of the key players in the rise and fall of the family, which is the story we told in those first two episodes. In 1983, the Love family went through what they called the Great Divorce, and it was Posey's dad, Richness, who sued the founder, Love Israel, to get his money back, leaving the few people who stayed with the group scrambling to make ends meet. But Posey wasn't around for any of that. Because about a year before it all happened, her mom, Constance, decided that she'd had enough of life in the Love family. And so one day, she left.
2: My mom just put her kids in the stroller and and literally walked away.
0: Constance went back to using her birth name, Judy. And her daughters went through the process in reverse. Their Love family names were erased and replaced with new ones. Judy's oldest daughter, Plenty, became Penny, and Composure, who was only two years old, became Posy. Judy moved her daughters in with their grandmother, Judy's mom, for a little while. She separated from richness, and then they moved to Florida. It was supposed to be a fresh start, but it didn't work out that way.
2: My mom uh, was schizophrenic, and um, oh. I'm not sure when her schizophrenia manifested I've never really known that.
0: What Posey does know is that before long, her mom's situation began to deteriorate. She kind
2: of slowly became less and less capable of taking care of herself or allowing others to take care of her. And yeah. around 1990, she became homeless and she stayed that way until 2013. Oh my so God. over 20 years. Um, and. <laughs> then in 2013, I was living in New York at the time. I got a phone call that she had um, had a seizure on the floor of the shelter that she was living at, mm-hmm. and they took her to the hospital. And she had a stage four brain tumor. Oh my god! So that's actually what killed her.
0: Whenever someone suffers from mental illness, it's tempting to want there to be a reason and in Judy's case, having spent as much time as she did living in a commune where drug abuse, food shortages, and poor hygiene were rampant. It's even more tempting to assume that the Love family was that reason. But, as you might expect, Posey has spent a lot of time researching schizophrenia, and she knows that's not how it works. It would be a convenient explanation for a complex mental health issue. And yet, Posey does have questions about the relationship between her mom's illness and her time in the love family.
2: It just kind of makes sense, right? Like, oh, okay, so there's this, there's this one big weird thing that happened, and then it's got to be connected to this other big
0: weird thing that happened. Posey has wondered about all this for a long time, and the answers haven't been easy to come by. But there are a couple things that have happened since Judy's death that make Posey's questions feel more pressing than ever.
1: On my 25th birthday, I felt such a sense of relief, And I didn't know where it was coming from and that's when I realized that I didn't want to start my life until I knew for certain that I wasn't going to become schizophrenic like my mother. I was sort of dimly aware that schizophrenia manifests itself when you're in your mid-20s and so that's when I started thinking well what was happening when my mom was in her mid-twenties, um, who was around that might have noticed what was going on with her?
0: Posy's in her thirties now, and she's about to start a family of her own.
2: So I, you know, I didn't know much about the family from, um, you know, most of my interactions would be like, sorry, I'm pregnant, so like I don't have a lot of breath, and my dog's a fast walker, oh, so I okay. really apologize for all the breathiness.
0: No, I'm, um, I'm to- this is... A- As Posey prepares to become a mother herself, it's time to track down the people that knew her mom around the time she joined the family and see if they're finally willing to talk.
2: And my theory is that she kind of started feeling different from other people and finding the love family was a way for her to be in a place where, like, it was okay to have visions, it was okay to act strange...
0: Today on Family Ghosts, we close out our three-part mini-series on the Love Family with the story of Posey and her mom. We'll try to help Posey find out if her theory is correct, that Judy was drawn to the intense, surreal experience of life in the Love Family because it helped her find comfort from the early stages of schizophrenia, and what the connection might be between, as Posey put it, these two big, weird things. From Spoke Media and WALT. You're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman, and this is Episode 10, The Love Family, Part 3, Constance and Composure. We'll be right back.
3: Spoke media.
1: I remember uh, coming downstairs and seeing her painting, and she just had this like beautiful, beautiful long strawberry blonde braid. Um, And I think that's my actual first memory of my mom.
0: Most of Posey's early memories of her mom don't really have anything to do with the Love family. They're from a little while after that fateful night when Judy put Posey and her sister in a stroller and walked away from the family. Start a new life.
1: I remember her as a good mom, somebody who was interested in being a mom, and I felt loved. And she would do little things to let us feel it.
0: Posey remembers trips to the zoo, art projects, and birthday parties.
1: She would take one present, one small present, and then wrap it in sort of an undetermined number of boxes, each of which were individually wrapped. Um, and it was like every kid at the party sat down in a chair, and it was musical musical gift, right? You would move the gift from person to person to person, and when the music stopped, a kid would unwrap.
0: It was the mid-80s, and Judy had married a man named Stephen, who used to hang around the Love family but had never formally joined. They had a son together, Posey's half-brother Kyle, and they all moved to Florida to start a new life.
1: My stepdad promised me that it, it doesn't rain there, there's no hills, and we're really close to Disney World. And when I got there, it was raining, there was a hill in our backyard, and Disney World was like hours and hours away. I was like, I felt very
0: cheated. Posey doesn't have strong memories of her early childhood in Seattle. But she does remember having a strong sense that Florida was different, and that lots of things were starting to change.
1: We moved actually every single year. So we lived in probably six different suburbs um, because um, my mom would just get nervous. She would get nervous about a neighbor and and think that our neighborhood was unsafe and so decide to move us.
0: She, yeah, she would just come up with some reason why we couldn't live in that place anymore and then we would move. Between moves, Posey and her sister flew back to Washington State in the summers to spend time with their dad, Richness or Daniel, as he was now known. That was like
1: one of the greatest parts of my childhood, is just sort of showing up, getting off the plane, and seeing my dad there. And he's just this, like, huge guy. He's 6'5", and he's got, he's so skinny, and he's just got, like, these big tan muscles in his veins popping out. And he was always so happy to see us. And, you know, he'd pick my sister up underneath one arm and me underneath another arm, and he'd just carry us like we were luggage through the
0: airport. Life with Daniel was a far cry from the subdivisions of Palm Beach. After he settled that lawsuit with the Love family, Daniel moved to 40 acres of undeveloped land in eastern Washington, near a tiny town called Northport. And for weeks, every summer, Posey and her sister Penny went from Judy's preoccupation with safety to a carefree life with Daniel, who was building a house from scratch in the wilderness.
1: And he had a barn, and I remember... We would play in the barn for hours and hours and hours and hours, and we would jump from the hayloft to the pile of hay, I mean, which is super dangerous, <laughs> like stacks of hay, like they are not stacked evenly and there are canyons in there and you can fall through. But we did that. And then, um, you know, we had a tree house that we built, which is really just a pellet that we hoisted into a tree. And yeah, we just kind of, we
0: just kind of ran wild. And then, at the end of the summer, they'd go back to Florida and try to adjust to life in their latest new house. And as Posey got older, she began to notice a shift in Judy's demeanor. It wasn't just the neighborhood that wasn't safe. Judy saw danger everywhere she went.
1: We'd go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and she would look at the teller, and the teller would like look at her dollar bill to see if, you know, it was counterfeit or whatever, like they do. And then we would drive away and she would spend the next 20 minutes speculating out loud about whether or not it really was a counterfeit bill and who could have possibly given it to her. And, you know, was it my stepdad's associate that gave it to her? And is he laundering money and just like spinning out?
0: Posey was still a kid at the time, maybe seven or eight years old. And her mom had told her lots of what Posey called mom lies in her youth. Judy would say things like, the crust of your sandwich is made out of cookie crumbs, so you'd better eat it. Or, you should never ever take a sip of beer, because everyone in our family is allergic. But confiding in her daughter about an imaginary money laundering scheme was in a different category. And Posey knew it.
1: I could tell that that didn't make a lot of sense, and it just didn't square with the way that I saw reality. And... How are you going to disagree with your mom about, you know, the facts of life, like the basis of reality? That's the person who's supposed to tell you what the basis of reality is.
0: Between Judy's episodes, the constant moving, and being whisked away to a parallel universe with Daniel every summer, it was a lot for Posey to take.
1: I think it sort of created a feeling in me that, like, everybody else had a normal life. and. um, I was just somebody who moved through it, um, and so I think I was, um, I was always trying to become friends with people who I thought were normal and had really stable lives, and then convince them that I was like them, and um, I was always afraid that they would find out that I wasn't.
0: And then one night, when Posey was 10, everything changed again. Mm
1: one night my mom just came to my sister and my little brother Kyle and I and said um you can pack one thing that you really really love I packed the rest of your clothes just grab one thing that you really love and you can call one friend to say goodbye um we're leaving and so I packed my one thing and I called my one friend, and then my mom put us in the car, station wagon, and we all drove to the airport and got on a plane and flew to Seattle. Um, And that was the end of our life in Florida. I mean, after five, six years, it was over in like
0: 24 hours. Judy took the kids to her mother's house, where Posey says they all slept on cots in the living room. None of them knew what was going on, and neither did their stepdad, Stephen. Judy had moved his whole family across the country without telling him. Eventually, Stephen figured out where they'd gone, and flew out to Seattle to bring Kyle, the son he and Judy had had together, home. Posey's dad caught wind of the situation, too.
1: And he came to Seattle and started to sue for custody, basically, because I think it it was clear to all of the dads that, you know, my mom had kind of lost it. It wasn't really clear to us kids. But it was clear to them, and so I was probably 9 or 10 at this time, and um, my mom was going to court a lot, and so was my dad. And I talked actually years later to a social worker who knew my mom at this time and was helping her when she was going to court, and she "Um, said—it just breaks my heart, but um, she said that she had never seen anyone fight so hard to keep her children— And she would just show up at court every day in, like, just really, like, proper attire and um, try to just, you know, be super respectful of everyone in the court and show that she could handle it and show that she could handle her children. But she couldn't um, because she was sick.
0: As much as she loved her kids, the courts sided with Daniel. For a while, Judy lived with her mother. But at some point, there was an incident, and her mom called the police. The mom got a restraining order against Judy, who suddenly found herself not only battling mental illness, but also with no place to live. I honestly don't know where she was staying.
1: She may have been sleeping on the street or something. She may have been in active delusion. But what happened is she got arrested because somebody found her fully clothed in their backyard, sitting in their hot tub.
0: The cops came again, and this time they had Judy committed. She was sent to a mental health facility, where she was formally diagnosed with schizophrenia. Posey says things went downhill quickly after that. She and her sister were living with Daniel, splitting time between Northport and Idaho, and their connection with Judy was hard to maintain. By the time Posey was in high school, she was living with her dad in Northport full-time, eight hours northeast of Seattle by car, And though she still spoke to her mom on the phone sometimes, Posey describes her life during this period as an exercise in compartmentalizing.
1: You know, you put your life in boxes, and there's this box where you're in high school and you play volleyball, and it's the summer and you're driving your Volvo down the road, you know? And then there's this other box where you have a schizophrenic mom who lives in Seattle who you force yourself to see sometimes, and those are not supposed to be connected.
0: But in spite of her illness, Judy was determined to stay connected to Posey.
1: I remember I was driving down the road to my dad's house one day after school, and um, I saw this woman walking on the side of the road. And this is not a road that like anybody walks down the side of. Like You have a car <laughs> um, if you're going down this road. And just the way that she walked, it looked like my mom. And so I turned around, and it was my mom and we put her in the back seat, and we drove home with her, and we found out that she had gotten on a Greyhound bus and gotten halfway across the state and gotten all the way to Northport um, just so that she could see us. And it was just, I can't describe to you how horrifying it was to think of her putting herself in that position at that time. I mean, I was probably 16, 17, and she was really actively mentally ill. I, I'm I'm surprised she was able to actually functionally buy the tickets and go in the right direction. And her feet, <sighs> um, her feet were bloody because she didn't have good shoes and she did a lot of walking. Um, and it just hurt my heart because she just wanted to get to us.
0: When Daniel called the mental health social workers in the next town to tell them someone with schizophrenia had somehow made her way across the state unsupervised, the social workers just bought Judy a bus ticket back to Seattle and sent her back on her own. Meanwhile, Posey was stuck between trying to carve out something resembling a stable life in the wake of her tumultuous childhood and trying to maintain her relationship with a clinically unstable mother while she adjusted to life in a new place with her father.
1: My dad's way was... We don't have to subject ourselves to painful things. So sometimes he would see me on the phone and um, my mom would hang up on me a lot, which was really painful. She would start yelling and then just hang up. Um, And then, you know, I'd be this 14-year-old girl who just got hung up on by her mother who was screaming at her. And I would just sit there with the phone in my hand and just cry. And, you know, my dad would see this. And I remember one time he came to me and said, you know, if it hurts that much to talk to her, you don't have to talk to her. Um, And so I gave myself permission for a while um, to just not talk to her when she called or not call her.
0: After high school, Posey went to college in Iowa and ended up in New York, where she started producing radio, thousands of miles away from all the chaos of her childhood. She started to have some success. Her pieces aired on NPR and won awards. But then, word reached Posey that Judy was sick with a brain tumor, and Posey picked up her whole life and moved back to Seattle to be with her mom in her final days. After enduring years of systemic neglect, in the end, Judy caught one final stroke of good fortune. Posey's sister was able to persuade a local religious hospital, the Columbia Lutheran Home, to care for Judy in the throes of her final decline.
1: And so they took her on um, just as and exercise and compassion. And like, they're like, this is what we do. It would be our privilege to take care of her. Um, which was amazing because it gave us the opportunity. That was a 10 minute walk from my sister's house. So we could see her every single day. We could go up in the morning and just give her a hug before I went to work. And then we could go there at night and braid her hair and put her to bed. And we did that for two years. And we didn't, we never paid them a single penny. And um, they made it possible for us to have a relationship with my mom at the end of her life.
0: Thanks to Columbia Lutheran, Judy was spared a death on the street and instead passed away in the care of the daughters she'd spent decades fighting her way back to. But something inside Posey still felt unresolved. She knew how schizophrenia had affected the end of her mom's life. But as she reflected on those memories from childhood, the mom lies, the drive-through, she realized she wasn't sure when the signs first started to appear. And then Posey remembered that sense of relief she'd felt when she turned 25.
1: I was sort of dimly aware that schizophrenia manifests itself when you're in your mid-20s. And so that's when I started thinking, well, what was happening when my mom was in her mid-twenties?
0: By Posey's calculations, Judy's mid-twenties are right around the time she would have joined the Love Israel family.
1: And so I started thinking, you know, were there, were there things that happened in my mom's life that flipped a switch?
0: After the break, we'll meet the people who knew Posey's mom in those days and try to figure out what flipped the switch.
4: There were a few young ladies that were fragile, and
0: Judy was one of them. We'll be right back.
3: Spoke media. Oh, I, I didn't
1: that make was her beer. We're
0: sitting in Richness, <laughs> aka Daniels' backyard
3: in Northport. Sorry. Try that. Pretty really
1: tasty. <laughs> She's actually kind of like Joe with
0: you
3: good, huh? It's good stuff.
1: Dad, but she's actually really not supposed to.
0: Daniel is meeting Oza, Posey's five-week-old, for the first time. And against Posey's wishes, he's feeding Oza ginger ale from the tip of his finger. (laughs) This is my dad. Daniel lives in a sort of compound of sprawling wooden structures that he built himself, a couple cabins and a barn. His front yard is full of vehicles in various stages of repair— a rusted-out mobile home, a battered pickup, a speedboat mounted on cinder blocks, a Porsche coupe, and several motorcycles. As we pulled into the driveway, we were greeted by Sadie, the largest dog I've ever seen. Her head came up to my ribs. Daniel looks exactly like the kind of dad who would gleefully scoop up his daughters and carry them like luggage through a crowded airport. He's tall, with a thin, sinewy frame, and a long goatee. He's in his early 70s, but his hair is still thick and dark. He wears it in a loose ponytail. He greeted us with ginger ale as producer Jennifer Lye set up our mics on a picnic table out back, and Sadie did her best to keep the area free from intruders.
1: Oh, God. Is it a deer?
3: Could be anything. Could be a cougar, could be a bear, could be a turkey, So could be ravens.
0: We spent a couple of hours talking to Daniel, who has lots of very specific memories from his time in the Love family.
3: So Sirius and I went back to Ohio and went to the trust company and grabbed the cash or told them where to send the stock certificates or whatever. And that all went into the uh, one guy, Fred Pryor, he had, I don't know how many thousand tons of potatoes he'd grow every year. But we worked with him and helped him and. And it wasn't really about pay, you know, it was like I also got busted for swimming naked on that trip or some little podunk lake in the middle of Kentucky or someplace.
0: But much to Posey's dismay, Daniel didn't have a lot to say about Judy.
3: Do you remember when you met her? Or
1: like the first time you saw her?
3: Not exactly. I don't know. I I don't know if I can, I mean... Lots of beautiful blonde hair and, you know, not not really, uh, really out front, but you know, comfortable in her skin, I thought.
1: What do you mean not really out
3: front? Well, you know, a lot of people are like all about like engaging you in conversation and, you know, and I don't think she was, she wasn't that extroverted really, but she was normal, I'd say.
0: Every time Posey tried to get her dad to talk about his memories of Judy, he'd quickly pivot into talking about the Love family.
1: So what were your sort of, I mean, it seems like you just gave your sort of general impression of her, but what was she like then? Like, if you can see her in your mind's eye.
3: Well, you know, we all stayed busy doing our little simple manual tasks that we had to do, so it was a simple life, you know, a certain amount of Bible study, not We weren't really Bible beaters,
0: you know. Even when it came to basic physical memories, what Judy looked like besides the blonde hair, Daniel seemed to come up empty.
2: What was she like then?
3: Mind you, it was a different milieu or whatever the word (laughs) is, you know. I mean, like, we lived, like, if we had a house this big, there'd be 15 of us living in there, you know. It was like a break from your past, you know. The deal was you write your parents a letter and saying thanks for everything, but now I'm part of the the Christ community. here.
0: Eventually, after a lot of prodding, a few vague recollections of trips that Judy and Daniel took to visit Daniel's mom made their way to the surface, but not much else. And while Daniel did seem to be doing his best, it was clear that when it comes to his biological family, details aren't his strong suit.
3: You know, it's just a little difficult for me right now to come up with specific things, you know, because,
1: yeah.
3: A, it was, what, how old are you, 36? 37. Pretty close, though, huh,
5: oh.
3: <laughs> Not bad. Pretty close. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, keep asking questions, and maybe I'll do, come up with something better. Let me think, think, think. Um, Although, even if he can't quite recall the date,
0: Daniel does remember at least one thing about Posey's birth.
3: Your mother loved marijuana for childbirth. Did you try it when you were birthing? I did not, no. No, yeah, that worked well for your mom.
0: But in terms of Posey's hope that Daniel might be able to clarify how Judy found her way to the family and whether she was showing any symptoms of schizophrenia at the time, the conversation was a dead end.
3: You know, you didn't want to say, OK, it's five bucks an hour and sign in and check in. And that, It wasn't like that. It was like, when we sell the milk, we'll make a milkshake or whatever.
1: I have to say, like, I'm a, I'm a little bit sad right now because it seems like I'm asking questions specifically about mom. And it seems like you just don't even remember her.
3: Well, that's not the only thing my memory's bad on, Posey. <laughs> I'm sorry. I
1: know. I know. But, like, I was just kind of hoping that I just, you know... I miss her, and I'm trying to figure out some things about her that I never really I know knew, you are. and I was difference. hoping it's that you would have it's a bit some of a climb. memories. It's a little bit frustrating because she was such a like she was such an unreliable narrator about her own life. And then, you know, you don't remember. <laughs> so who are we, like who are we supposed to ask?
0: Once again, JL, one of the Love family's midwives who kept the secret birth record we told you about in our last episode, came to the rescue.
1: God,
4: there's so many babies. Look at all those. Oh, yeah. that's all the way to 80. November. Oh, look, 12, 280. There's me. <laughs> look at that. Oh, good. Constance richness.
0: It's all that, mister. JL was the midwife who delivered Posey. But that's not the only reason JL remembers Judy. It turns out, They spent a lot of time together in the Love family, at a place called Fat Camp. One woman from every household was
4: sent to the fat lady's area of the barn. And this
0: was just an experiment, is the way it was put to me. The experiment took place on a ranch the Love family owned about an hour north of Seattle. J.L. told us that Love and his elders felt that all the women in the Love family should look a certain way. They liked bone. Posey pointed out that neither her mom or JL was particularly heavy, but JL said that didn't matter. They were served meager rations of rice and vegetables in an attempt to make them fit love's vision for a woman's appearance. And on top of being subjected to a dangerous and misogynist experiment, Judy, JL, and the other women had to sleep in bales of hay and were expected to tend to the chickens, cows, and horses on the ranch in the midst of all of this. After a couple of months, a sympathetic love family elder came to visit J.L. at the ranch and told her she could leave if she wanted to. But J.L. wasn't sure that was such a good idea.
4: I did not go home right away because I there were two ladies that I felt like I were fragile that were were people who just needed somebody that was positive and not not upset or anything you know that's me and and
1: And who were those ladies
0: adaya and your mama in the wake of the fat barn jael could tell the love family experience was starting to wear on judy
4: she'd get really skinny sometimes really skinny. Hmm. She probably carried a lot of guilt. What makes you think that she would have...
1: Like, what makes you use the word guilt? Guilt?
4: Because she, she said, I'm sorry, a lot. She apologized for herself a lot. To who? Well, just, you know, if anything was out of place and somebody commented on it,
0: oh, I'm sorry. It's awful to hear about Judy feeling like she had anything to feel guilty about, especially when it was clearly a daily struggle just to get enough to eat. It was one of the many surreal and unhealthy parts of life in the Love family.
2: When I was born, hep-
1: some, kind of, some form of hepatitis was making its way through the Love family, and um, there were no doctors consulted. You know, Nobody went to the hospital, but they tried to quarantine everybody into what they called the yellow tents.
0: Earlier in this series, we talked about Love Israel's refusal to allow members of the Love family to visit doctors. As Posey's sister, Penny, told us, this policy led to some pretty bizarre incidents.
1: And my mom had it, and when I was born, I was totally jaundiced, and um, apparently they, like, lifted me up and said, Oh, it's a golden baby! And J.L., the midwife, was like, Give me that baby! She needs—you know, she's sick! (laughs) It's not that she's a golden baby.
0: And that's all part of Posey's question. How did this surreal and often barbaric experience affect her mom, who would later become consumed by delusional hallucinations?
1: Yeah, like, what is the weird, like, swim of experience that she was in then? She was probably taking psychedelics, and then the Love Family was just such a strange experience to begin with. So, like, what was going on in her mind in in her 20s?
0: This confluence of factors—the drugs, the starvation, the vicious misogyny—all of that is what made Posey want to ask these questions in the first place. She told Jail about it during our visit.
1: Yeah, because that's kind of what's confusing, right? Is that like you know, and I know that schizophrenia usually manifests in like your early twenties, probably. Mm-hmm. And if you hit mid twenties and you haven't developed schizophrenia, you're probably not going to. Right. But it seems like what happened with my mom was that she hit her mid thirties and just like suddenly lost it and wasn't really capable of taking care of us anymore, really functioning. But that's really late for it to happen. Right. Plus, she joined the love family, and she had visions. And, like, part of me thinks, well, maybe she wasn't totally clear on what was happening in her head. And, you know, she met these people who said they were having visions, and she was like, well, maybe that's what's going on with me. And
4: yeah, I. what do you
1: think about that idea?
4: I didn't see any real going-off or, you know, um, particular things that, that happened with her. And I remember her dancing just by, you know, we women just danced in circles with our arms up
0: and stuff like that. And she was beautiful. In fact, everyone Posey asked about her mom's time in the family told us they didn't remember anything seeming off about Judy.
1: Did you ever at the time think this borders on, or maybe even is, mental illness? No.
3: It
2: all seemed normal.
3: Nothing unusual, no strange behavior. She didn't seem mentally ill when I knew her. You know, I never had that thought at all.
6: Your mom was totally normal all the time she lived in the family.
0: That last voice is understanding Israel.
6: I even looked up Constance in the thesaurus, and it says, uh, steady, fixed, loyal, you know. And, And when I knew Judy, that's what she was. She was so steady and so fixed, and that's why the family gave her that name Constance.
0: Understanding knew Judy better than many of the people we talked to. They worked together at what the Love family called the Kids House, a house within the family's compound where parents could drop their children off during the day to be looked after. Understanding says Judy seemed happy to be a part of the Love family, at least at first. She said, now I can really trust men. I've had a lot of men in
6: my life I can't trust, but I really feel I can trust men now.
0: But that changed a few years after Posey and her sister Penny were born.
6: And your dad was like this really big-hearted, really generous, uncapitalistic, totally suggestible, you know, giving just a giant heart. But he was a playboy. It wasn't like your dad had an affair. It was like
0: we were all married to each other. That's Nancy, who was also working in the kids' house with Judy and Understanding. And one day, Posey's dad, Richness, approached Nancy, presumably while Judy wasn't around.
4: I think it was just like,
6: you're going to come with me, you know, kind of a... It was It was more of a flirtation. It was more like, hey, you should come be with me for a while, you know, how he can be, so...
0: Soon after, Nancy became another one of Daniel's partners. And Judy wasn't happy about it. She knew about the love family's belief that they were all part of one big group marriage. But that doesn't mean she liked it. Understanding told us that initially, Judy tried not to focus on richness's new relationship. She didn't
6: have a mental breakdown. She didn't cry, because we had people crying all the time at the kids' house, you know, oh, it's with another lady. Judy just stoic took it up, but she said, that's not what I'm going to do. I just focus on my kids, you know.
0: But behind the scenes, it was a different story. Nancy remembers that little by little, Judy started to withdraw from life in the family.
2: I think she was more at her mom's and grandma's
6: house than she was in the family. Because so I remember once she told me she really didn't want to be in the family without Dan, because I think he, she felt like Dan took care of her,
0: which he did. Understanding could tell, Judy was at a crossroads.
6: And the last time I saw Judy was we all decided to hike up to King Lake, because you could be naked at King Lake. And Judy was sitting on a rock, and she was very uh, not happy, meditative, quiet. And I clearly remember people putting pressure on her when we were up there, Hey, here's this guy, Steve. And, you know, he's kind of your best bet right now.
0: Stephen was a lawyer who'd started hanging around the group in the late 70s. He never formally joined. But Understanding says everybody there that day knew him well enough to try and convince Judy that Stephen was her ticket out.
6: And I could see that Judy was kind of lost. And they were selling him. Selling you, come on, Judy, you know, get on the program here and he'll take you, like, far away.
5: So I go into the house and then it was obvious that uh, there was a different plan than taking Kyle to T-Ball.
0: After the break, Judy does get far away.
5: Maybe a week or so or two went by and it was obvious nobody was coming back. We'll be right back.
0: By the time we spoke to Stephen, we'd been tracing the history of Judy's time in the Love family for a few months. We'd heard countless stories about how extreme the conditions of life in the group were for her, and about how fragile she seemed to the relatively small group of people who were close to her. But when it came to Posey's original question, whether Judy was already beginning to show symptoms of schizophrenia when she joined the family, and how her life in the group might have affected her experience of the illness, most of what we'd heard was kind of surprising. Everyone we talked to who knew Judy during her time in the family didn't recall anything out of the ordinary about her. In fact, as Understanding Israel put it,
6: She was more normal than 90% of all the, maybe 99% of all the women. She didn't run after men, she didn't do drugs, she just stayed focused on
0: the kids. But it was during her mom's marriage to Stephen that Posey first started to realize something was wrong when she was just a kid growing up in Florida. Posey had never talked to Stephen about his memories from those days. And whenever she's wondered about this period in her mom's life, Posey's always had the same thought. Well, she must have been
1: pretty sort of together at that point because Stephen agreed to marry her, you know?
0: And it turns out she was right.
5: Exactly. the, The path towards the... Uh, breaks, you know, I'm just going to call them reality breaks or snaps, you know, were not, uh, you know, were, were, were not evident. If they were, if they were baked in, they certainly hadn't uh, emerged.
0: In the midst of the collapse of her relationship with Richness, Posey's dad, Judy went shopping one day at the local food co-op in the Queen Anne Hill neighborhood of Seattle. And that's where Stephen saw her, wearing the flowing, handmade dress that was customary for the women in the Love family. He went over and introduced himself.
5: Hey, hi, hi. Are you oh, you're Constance and oh yeah, okay. I'm I'm me and uh, so yeah. That would have been a sort of an introduction
0: that uh, stuck, so so to speak. Steven knew that Judy was Richness's partner and that they had two young daughters. But they saw each other from time to time at Love Family events and slowly got to know each other. And then, in 1984, Steven's mom got sick. And he had to make an unexpected trip to Florida. He wasn't sure how long he'd be gone.
5: So I'm on the airplane, wondering to myself, what am I
0: doing? You know, I'm flying cross-country, and what am I going to do in Florida? It's a little unclear when exactly Judy went hiking with understanding and got the hard sell on Stephen. But about a week into his visit home, Steven got a call from Judy.
5: She you know, asked her how we're doing everything. And um, during that phone call, we uh, decided, well, why don't we get married? So it was a long-distance, a long-distance uh, proposal. And, well, within a week, I think the invitations were, were uh, getting printed.
0: The ceremony was held in Lake Tahoe, California. Stephen called it a typical dream wedding. Judy and her daughters wore flower crowns, and the ceremony was held right on the lake. After the wedding, they moved to Florida, where everything about their life together was a big change from Judy's time with the Love family. Not long after the move, she and Steven had a son, Posey's half-brother Kyle.
5: Kyle was the first—he was, was a hospital birth. Said, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to have a baby in a hospital. That was, <laughs> that was a big deal.
0: Like, like, yeah, like dinner in a nice restaurant. In Florida— Judy and Stephen carved out a much more recognizable version of American family life. Birthday parties, swimming, and occasional vacations back to the West Coast.
5: We went water skiing. Uh, she was a water skier, not me. I tried water skiing in Tahoe. I, uh, I got to drink a lot of Lake Tahoe uh,
0: involuntarily. <laughs> but, but that's okay. And then, on one of those Lake Tahoe vacations, the family rented bikes. There was a bike path that ran along the Truckee River... And Stephen thought it was too crowded, so he took the kids to a different part of the path. But Judy stayed behind to ride along the river.
5: On the bike path alongside the river, uh, a, a person was practicing for his uh, aerobics for, I guess, his uh, downhill skiing or something. So he was riding really, really fast, and he ran in to, to Mom from behind, and it threw her off the bike, and... What happened uh, after that? Um, she was airlifted, helicopter evac out of South Lake Tahoe to Reno, the nearest you know major city, uh, you know, for evaluation in
0: the hospital. Stephen had no idea what had happened until he got back to the vacation house and found a message from doctors at Reno General Hospital. He rushed over as soon as he heard it. They thought maybe that she had. Uh,
5: Experienced suffered a trans ischemic attack. It's it's below a stroke, but where it's where you're, you know there's a diminished blood flow to part of the brain. And so you know they kept her for I'm not sure even how long that was. It wasn't you know really long. But uh, when they said okay, you're okay to to go to go home, so we went back to Tahoe and then you know we flew home.
0: They got Judy home and flew back to Florida. Yeah, that's when things had started, you know, gradually
5: to shift
0: um, into
5: a, a darker
0: place. The first thing Stephen noticed was Judy getting angry without warning. It seemed like she was having outsized reactions to things.
5: Yeah, yelling and just way out of proportion to what would be a normal response.
0: Not long afterwards, Stephen and Judy were driving home from a dinner party, and they got rear-ended.
5: And mom was a slender reed, physically, emotionally. And it gets bent and it bends, you know, and then it gets bent a little bit too far. After that, um, you know, things just got stranger and stranger and stranger and a little scary at times. What was
1: strange about it? What kind of things happened?
5: I mean, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but they were pretty far out to use a You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, mom started believing that she was the love child of... Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy as one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When was? Do you remember the first time that she said something to you where you were like, "Wow, no, you're not connected to reality." Well, right
5: I mean, some of the mom was having a, a, a rant, of fit, yelling and screaming, and I'm not sure even now what it was about or what precipitated it, but I knew this wasn't right. And I, so we all went into the bedroom and I locked ourselves and I said to you girls, "This isn't normal. This isn't, you know, how it's supposed to be. Don't, you know, look at this as like a uh, a permanent or, or something." I was just trying to calm myself down by, you know, saying things that I thought would help. That's, you know, one memorable event. And uh, so, yeah, you're just walking on eggs.
0: Posey had told us about that night when her mom came into her room and told her to pack one thing she really loved and to call one friend and say goodbye, the impromptu trip to Seattle. It's one of her worst memories. But she'd never heard Stephen's side of the story. He was at work one morning and got a call from Judy saying she'd meet up with him later on at their son Kyle's t-ball game. And something about her voice just didn't sound right.
5: Um, there, so that sort of made me wonder, well, what's going on? So I'll just come on home. So I did, and when I got home, the car was gone, but the box in the trunk, I call the trouble box if you're in car trouble, so that's in the middle of the uh, driveway. So, so I saw it, and the car's not there, and this is gone. So thinking, well, why would you need to take that out? So I go into the
0: house, and then it was obvious that uh, there was a different plan than taking Kyle to T-Ball. Stephen doesn't remember how he figured out Judy must have gone to Seattle. But when he did, he suspected she was staying with her mom. And when he called, Judy answered. She told him the trip was just a little vacation. So I
5: figured, let me just play it out. I so, said, well, look, here, you know, it's just sort of a surprise. I wasn't expecting this, but, you know, you know, have a good trip and see you when you get back. And uh, I
0: don't think, uh, well, maybe a week or so or two went by, and it was obvious nobody was coming back. When Stephen realized what was actually happening, he flew to Seattle to get Kyle and bring him back to Florida. Daniel took over custody of Posey and her sister.
5: I said, look, you just have to do what we got to do, and these things, you know, don't uh, go down the happily ever after pathway.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh, Stephen, I mean, what happened to Mom happened to all of us, and it definitely happened to you. Um, what has been the effect of of her? Illness on your well, life. Well,
5: I wouldn't even so much even so much as the illness, but just the experience of you know falling in love and being married, and that was my my one true love, my one and only, and i probably you know pretty sure at this point never be getting married again. Um, I don't revisit you know the bad or the the, the negative that often you got to go with the flow or you drowned and i decided you know i was going to go with the flow and we just flowed downstream
1: you said she was i i don't know why it affects me but um uh i mean of course you guys loved each other right like you said that you loved her and you called her your one true love and i wonder um just if you can sort of remember back to that time like what was what was lovable about her
5: she was c- very gentle and kind she had a, a love of nature and she loved you, you girls and Kyle when Kyle was born i mean she was a very loving and nurturing person and you know uh, and that that was our our connection whatever happened whatever turned the the switch and i, I think it was the the physical injuries that she suffered, pushed her into uh, that that world. I um I <laughs> I
1: really wish that you could see me right now because I've got, um, so I've got my headphones on, I've got the microphone in front of my face, and then on the left, on my left shoulder, I have a baby just chewing on my shoulder. And on my right shoulder, I'm, like, cradling the phone.
0: (laughs) After months of interviews and finally having the answers she's wanted for so long, Posey's coming to terms with the realization that the connection between her mom's mental illness and her time in the love family isn't what Posey thought it was.
1: I never blamed the family for what happened to her. Like, I, I, I don't think there was ever any part of me that was like, oh, they made her do LSD and that's why she has schizophrenia, you know? So I think... I did think that she joined the family because of her mental illness. Like, I, th- I I think I always sort of put the two together in my mind. It's like, oh, you're, you know, your brain is doing strange things. And this is a place where, you know, other people are saying that they're having visions. And other people don't quite fit into society. And so that makes sense. And And so I think that was like a tidy story. I think what it changes is just realizing that, like, My mom may have just been, like, a mixed-up kid who joined a culty commune, whereas before I thought of her as a person who was mentally ill and so therefore found a home in a culty
0: commune for a while. Even though Posey never thought Judy's time in the Love family directly caused her schizophrenia, it was tempting to make a connection between these two big, weird things. But it turns out it's much more likely that it was the bike accident which helped unlock whatever door Judy's illness was hiding behind. And that means that, in a way, the story of Judy's mental illness is even harder to process than it was before. It's just so
1: much sadder, in a way. Um, If that's the answer. like It's just so much more sad um, because she had sort of like... um, cleared the trajectory of her young life, you know, and she like figured out what she was going to do. and she had settled into this nice little life where her kids were taken care of, and she had another baby, and um, everything was good. And then she got into a bike
0: accident but in the end, Posey, who's now a mom herself, is grateful to finally know the truth about her mom's past.
1: She was always kind of an enigma to me because I lost her so many times in so many different ways. Um, And I just never had the chance to ask her about her own life. So I think to be able to talk to other people about it just made her more alive to me. And in some small way, the world is different because she was in it. What do you think, Ozzette? Do you have anything you want to say? I love you so much, kid.
0: Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman, with Odelia Rubin, Jennifer Lye, Jacob Smith, Lindsay Cradwell, Jenna Hannum, and Jonielle Kastner. Our story editor is Michaela Bly. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett and featured original music by Jesse Brenneman. Our theme music is by Louis Guerra. Executive producers for season two are myself, along with Keith Reynolds and Aaliyah Tavakolian at Spoke Media. Special thanks for this episode to Sarah Viers, Faye Viers, and Penny Gruner. And also Daniel Gruner, who passed away between the time of our interview and the publication of this episode. Our story about the Love family is by no means the definitive account. To read, watch, and learn more about the family, please visit our website, where you can find links to Rachel Israel's memoir, Counterculture Crossover, and Eric Johansson's documentary, It Takes a Cult. For all of that and more, please visit familyghostspodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our email list, The Ghost Post. If you'd like to follow our show on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at famgoshow. That's F-A-M-G-H-O, show. We'll be back with an all new story next week, featuring a mystical notebook containing a decades old scandal. Stay tuned after the credits for a sneak preview. And thank you for listening to Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. Next time on Family Ghosts, Mira's great uncle leaves the world behind. He
6: quietly sat down on the couch, put his palms together in a prayer position, raised them over his head, and closed his eyes. That was his death. So graceful
0: and simple. But he also leaves behind some clues to a mysterious scandal that's anything but simple.
4: The brothers of the girl came knocking at the door with knives in their hands, saying, we are going to take him. We are going to kill him.
0: That's coming up next week, when Season 2 of Family Ghosts continues. You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade Radio.